God is so incredibly good to us. Um, that last song always catches me a little bit. A lot of reasons, but um, I think we we are in danger of forgetting how good He is to us. I do believe one of the greatest goodnesses that you and I get to experience just by being here this morning is the reality that we live and celebrate who God is in a country that has freedoms that many countries don't have. And that is a gift from God. And we're grateful for that gift. We're grateful, not like we should be. We should be more grateful. We should be more grateful for the men and women who have served or are serving or will serve to make sure those freedoms remain ours. But, but far greater than that is the gift that we can celebrate more than just on the 4th of July. It's the gift of freedom that is more precious than any other gift that we could ask for. Separated from God in our sin. Owing a debt that we could never pay on our own. God didn't just offer a solution. God gave us the solution. God in flesh. (laughs) died on a cross where we should have died and offered the payment for our sin debt. And when that that payment was made, he took our sins, he took our guilt, he took our shame, and he took all of that to the grave with him. And then he rose again, crushing it. And that's what purchased our freedom. And we're not supposed to just celebrate that freedom, we are supposed to use it to serve other people well. How are we doing? How are we doing? Have we allowed the gift to fall in on ourselves where we just enjoy it ourselves? Or are we actually using the gifts that God has given us to serve other people? Let's, let's pray together as we get ready to look at God's word. Father, I thank you. Thank you for the gift of freedom that you have given us in this country. Lord, as, as, as broken as this country is, we are still incredibly thankful for those privileges that we can enjoy. We praise you, Father, that, that Jesus Christ did take our guilt and that he has given us his righteousness if we have confessed that he is Savior. Thank you that in Christ we're no longer condemned We're no longer in fear of death because we have real freedom in Jesus Christ. We get to run freely to the throne of grace. We get to run freely right into your presence where we experience your welcome. We get to experience your joy. God, we want to use the freedom that you've given us in Christ, that that you've purchased for us through Christ's blood, and we want to use it to serve other people. We want to be as free and loving and joyful as you have intended for us to be. So Lord, I ask that you would keep freeing us from looking to anybody or anything else for our deepest satisfaction. May our satisfaction be found in you and only you. God, help us to be better rememberers. I pray for our time in your word today. I pray... I pray that you would help us in our minds be able to connect 
what happened in Abraham's life to what happens in ours day in and day out. And may we remember how faithful you are. It's in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, let's go home. Just kidding. Genesis 20. Yeah, don't shout amen on that one. Genesis 20. Genesis 20. We are continuing to work our way through the book of Genesis. We are finding a lot of consistency in the characters and in the story and in what's going on. We, we um, <laughs> yeah. Well, let me, let me read verses 1 and 2 out of Genesis 20 and, and, <laughs> and just respond to how my heart feels when I read this, this, these two verses. Right? Genesis chapter 20, verse 1. From there, okay, where is from there? From there is right after the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah as Abraham looks from afar off and he sees the judgment of God fall and he is reminded that the reason Lot escaped is because God demonstrated mercy and grace in Lot's life. That was undeserved. So from there... Abraham traveled to the region of Negev and settled between Kedesh and Shur. And while he was staying in Gerar, Abraham said about his wife, Sarah, she's my sister. Come on. Right? I, I won't name names because that would be really embarrassing, but we all have people in our lives that just do the same dumb thing over and over again. And you're like, what are you doing? And usually that person looks at us in the mirror every morning, right? So Abraham's like, Abraham, what are you doing? Not again. She's my sister. We've heard this before. She's my sister. And of course, we're not reading this in a vacuum, so you and I know the story. So we know that 18 verses later, we find out that Sarah is about to give birth to this little one named Isaac, the promised child. We're so close to the promise being fulfilled, and yet he does it again. Dumb dad joke. Grrr. That's the name of the country. Now you won't forget it. So King Abimelech of Grrr takes Sarah. And then God and Abimelech have a little conversation. Look at verse 3. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, you're about to die. Okay, we didn't. Cut any corners. You're about to die because the woman you have taken, for she is a married woman. Now Abimelech had not approached her, so he said, wait, Lord, wait, wait, wait. Would you destroy a nation even though it's innocent? Didn't he, Abraham, himself say to me, she's my sister? And she herself, she, she said, he's my brother. I did this with a clear conscience and with, with clean hands. I did this, nothing up my sleeve, Lord. Then God said to him in the dream, yes, I know you did this with a clear conscience. I've also kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I have not let you touch her. So Abimelech says, nothing up my sleeve. I did this in innocence. I didn't even touch her. And God says, you're welcome. <laughs> that was me preventing you from sinning against me. Verse 7, now, now God says to him, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you and you will live. But if you do not return her, know that you will certainly die, you and all who are yours. So early in the morning, Abimelech got up, called all his servants together, and personally told them all these things. And the men were terrified. And rightly so. Let's keep reading. Verse 9. Then Abimelech called Abraham in and said to him, What have you done to us? 
How did I sin against you that you've brought such enormous guilt on me and on my kingdom? You have done things to me that should never be done. Abimelech also asked Abraham, what made you do this? Okay, stop for a second. What you are hearing is somebody who is the victim of cruelty. You are hearing the cry of his heart like, I cannot believe, what did you do to us? What what has happened to you that this was a good choice in your mind? Now, I find it fascinating as Abimelech is, is interacting with Abraham and he's laying out his arguments for his own innocence and he's making his accusations against Abraham. Like, what are you doing? I can't believe you did this. The only answer that Abraham can have in response is one of, I, I don't know. What has happened to you that you thought God was too small to take care of you, Abraham? Well, nothing. Because God has done nothing but care for Abraham. Abraham, what, what has happened to you that you thought it would be a great idea to put us in jeopardy so that you could skate off free? Well, what has happened? And their only answer is, Well, here is Abe's great answer. We're tight now. I've called him Abe in my notes, so it comes out. Sorry. (laughs) I saw that you are not a God-fearing people. So I was afraid I would die. Look at verse 11. I thought there's absolutely no fear of God in this place. They will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she, she really is my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. So when God had me wander from my father's house, I said to her, show your loyalty to me wherever we go and say about me, he's my, my brother. The answer that Abraham gives to Abimelech is lame. Well, see, when I looked, I saw that you're not a God-fearing people, so I was afraid that I would die. That's his answer. Finish the thought. I saw that you weren't a God-fearing people, and I was afraid that I was going to die. I was scared of what you were going to do to me, so I gave her to you. What a cowardly act. And he continues with his terrible answer. And technically speaking, you know, she is my sister after all. Now, it's only a half-sister. So, so, And then what he reveals in this response to Abimelech, he reveals the fact that the plan, the entire time from when they left Ur, the plan was Abraham said to Sarah, and here are his words, show your loyalty to me wherever we go and say about me, he's my brother. As we travel, Sarah, what I want you to do is protect me at all costs. Um, This is a certainly rabbit trail waiting to happen. So I'm going to keep it incredibly brief and incredibly general. This is not what a man who is pursuing God with his heart with full integrity looks like. We've talked about this before. We've talked about this before. Being a man who follows God doesn't necessarily mean you're a hunter, a fisher, or somebody who likes the color green and blue. Being a man who is pursuing God means that you are passionate in your pursuit of his glory above your own. 
Being a man who pursues God means that you are selfless in your submission to other people in order to serve them. Being a man who pursues God means you are going to take God at his word even when it's inconvenient for you. Being a man who pursues God is a man who is marked by integrity where his words and his actions align. Being a man who pursues God means selflessly serving those people who have been given over to his care, who's using your freedom to prefer others above yourself. Being a man who pursues God means having a radical humility to admit when you have done it wrong. Being a man who pursues God is not saying, hit her, not me. A horrible, cowardly act. A man behaving as if the promise that God had made was to come through him and only him. So he must be protected above all things. When in fact, in chapter 17, God made it abundantly clear to Abraham, the promise must come through Sarah. And so by Abraham making this decision, what he has done is he has jeopardized any possibility of that promise coming true through Abraham and Sarah. But God, God was not taken by surprise. And God protected. Abimelech uh, dumps a bunch of stuff, uh, starting in verse 14, on Abraham and Sarah to clear his own name, to redeem his own name. And so he just gives them all this stuff. But what I really want to look at, verse 17, look at, look at chapter 20, verse 17. Then Abraham, then Abraham prayed to God. God healed Abimelech, his wife, his female slave, so they could then bear children. For the Lord had completely closed all the wombs in Abimelech's household on account of Sarah, Abraham's wife. So Abimelech takes Sarah. God immediately inflicts this, some type of plague or disease, some type of judgment on the entire household so that Abimelech's servants, his wives, aren't able uh, to have children. He closes their wombs. And, and in fact, I would argue that some of the language that's here, it actually presented any physical relationship to occur between Abimelech and his wives at this time because God was protecting his promise. And so then God appears and says, you're a dead man. And Abimelech said, look, no, it wasn't me. And you had that whole conversation. And God commands Abimelech. He says, go to Abraham. He's a prophet. He's going to pray for you and you will live. So in this conversation, Abimelech confronts him. Abraham does his stuff. Abimelech dumps gifts on him. And then Abimelech says, we don't have it here, but he said, God said you would pray for me. How awkward is that prayer? Seriously, think about it for a second. How awkward. So, so okay, Abraham is praying for Abimelech. He is praying for the healing of Abimelech and everybody in his household. He is praying that the person who is innocent but is suffering because of his own sin, Abraham's sin. So, so the prayer kind of goes like this. Uh, God, you have brought judgment against Abimelech and his household. They are innocent. They need mercy. They need grace. And the whole reason they're experiencing your judgment, God, is because of me. 
God, please don't allow this plague, this judgment, this, this disease to continue. Please, Lord, would you please heal them? Would you please take care of them? I know you're a gracious and merciful God. I wonder how much it stung to be confessing those things about God's character back to God when Abraham was living like that wasn't true. God, all of these things are happening because I didn't take you at your word. All of these things are happening because I saw trouble and I thought you were too small. I thought you were unaware. And Abraham prays on behalf of Abimelech. My opinion based on what happens in the rest of Abraham's life, is that as Abraham offered this prayer of intercession for Abimelech, in his prayer he was reminded over and over again of God's everlasting faithfulness, God's everlasting kindness to him. And as a result, Abraham's character was changed right here. Oftentimes, when we pray for those who are in fact our enemies, It causes us to confess things that we know to be true, but we're not living like it's true. Um, A very wise person um, once told me that the greatest, um, I'll say tool, to overcome anger, frustration, and bitterness towards someone is to spend specific time praying for them. Because as you pray that God would wash them in grace and in mercy that they do not deserve, what you recognize is neither do you. And I think that's what happened here in the life of Abraham. Now, it's interesting. I've never seen these stories go together, but in fact, they do. We go to chapter 21. Again, this is this moment in chapter 21 um, that has been being waited for for 25 years. And listen, listen to how, I don't know. It's almost as if it's undersold. It's just stated so matter-of-factly, like, okay, you've been waiting for 25 years, you've done all of this in your life, and you've gotten to this place, and then chapter 21, verse 1, the Lord came to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the appointed time God had told him. Abraham named his son who was born to him, the one Sarah bore to him, Isaac. And when his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God had commanded him. Abraham, <clears throat> excuse me, was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has made me laugh. Everyone who hears is going to laugh with me. She also said, who would have told Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne a son for him in his old age? It's so simply stated Just as God promised, he did what he promised he would do. Just as God God promised Sarah she would have a son, boom, son, name Isaac. And I think we we kind of tend to forget, it's like, okay, if if you were 90 and getting ready to have a child, it would be a little bit bigger of a deal, right? Significantly bigger of a deal. But what's not stated here is something that you and I as the readers are supposed to remember. Remember? In fact, it's something that Abraham and Sarah should have remembered. And it's this. God made the promise 25 years earlier and called them out of Ur. As they traveled out of Ur, a famine came. They went into Egypt. Excuse me. And as they go into Egypt, Abraham, being Mr. Courage that he is, says, this is my sister. And Pharaoh takes Sarah into his harem. 
and God miraculously protects her. They move into Canaan and they begin farming the land, Abraham and Lot. Lot and Abraham have this little bit of a conflict, so Lot heads towards Sodom. Lot gets closer and closer towards Sodom as the years go on. Lot ends up in Sodom. There's this massive civil war. The huge superpowers of the day come in, overthrow Sodom, take Lot captive. Abraham, who is not a military dude, and he's only got about 350, 400 people. He takes 350 to 400 soldiers that he has created. They're his homegrown militia. They pursue the king, uh, Chedor Lamor. Remember King Cheddar? They pursue King Cheddar. And Abraham, of all people, overthrows a world superpower. And he's protected. Then Abraham tries to help God and says, how about if I give you my servant Eliezer and we can have the promise through him? And God says, "Uh, don't need your help. Then Sarah tries to help God and says, hey, how about we give Hagar to Abraham as a wife and so then you can have a child through her. And and Abraham's like, okay. And God's like, no. Abraham then laughs off the promise of God when God says, through Sarah, this promise will be seen. Sarah then laughs off the promise of God when God arrives in their camp and says, I'll be back in a year and Sarah will be pregnant. She literally laughs behind the back of God. And in that moment, God could have smitten her. But instead, he just corrected her a little bit. You did laugh. Then you've got Gur again here, right? God miraculously protects Sarah. You have all of these events that God is interceding. He's interacting. He's protecting. He is watching over. And at any point in that process, God could have said, fine, have it your way. I'm out. They definitely gave him enough reason. In fact, there's a a verse, one of my favorite verses. It's It's a verse about the character of God. Um, it teaches the immutability of God. It means he never changes. It's Malachi 3.6, and it says, I am the Lord your God, I change not. It's a beautiful verse, talking about the immutability of God. He never changes. That's the first half of the verse. I love the way the verse ends. Malachi 3.6, I am the Lord your God, I change not. Therefore, you sons of Jacob have not been destroyed. What he's saying is the only reason you're not pushing up daisies right now is because I have not changed in my promise towards you. I remain faithful to you. I have not judged you ultimately. I have not wiped you out. The only reason you are still in existence is because I am a God who is eternally and everlasting faithful. God keeps his promise, and at the point of time, Isaac is born. And you hear in Sarah's celebration, you hear her celebrating the the everlasting faithfulness of God with laughter. When's the last time you just sat with, with a loved one, with a family member, with a friend, and just, and, and, and count your many blessings is the old song, but, but you just sat there and recorded out loud with each other some of the amazing things that God has done for you? When is the last time you were so amazed when you considered all the things that God had done for you in the past that not just a smile crept on your face, but you began to chuckle with each other. Um, I know it surprises you. I laugh often. 
And it's one of my favorite things to do is just stop for a few minutes and be like, okay, so what did God, did you see what God just did? There's absolutely no way that should have happened. I have messed that up every which way possible. And yet God in his graciousness and in his kindness and in his faithfulness to me blessed me in ways that I should never be blessed. Can I encourage you? Today, tomorrow, you have a little extra time on your hands. Just start recording some of the things that God has done for you. Remember. Remember some of the powerful ways that he has acted. Remember how God did not give you what you wanted. And now looking back, you realize that would have ruined you. I've got one. I was supposed to go to the University of San Diego. For... Just kidding. I was not. I was supposed to go to San Diego State. There we go. <laughs> but I got lost and went to the wrong school. I was supposed to go to San Diego State University for college. Had all my paperwork done, all the approvals done, I was on my way. Had I done that, I promise you, I would not be a pastor today. That's small potatoes. I promise you, I would not be married to Stephanie today. That's small potatoes. I promise you, I would not be following Christ today. But God right? Take the time to look back and laugh. The thing that makes me laugh, which and dad and I are going to have to have a conversation in heaven, is when my father stood before me shaking in anger and confusion and said, what are you doing going to Northland Baptist Bible College? You know that's in Wisconsin, right? Now, full disclosure, had I known what Wisconsin was like, I wouldn't have gone, but... (laughs) When is the last time you took the time just to stop, look back, and remember God's faithfulness? See, I believe if Abraham would have done that, I think when he walked into Gerar, it wouldn't have been, this is my sister. It would have been, okay, hang on, Sarah. This is my wife. Let's see what God's about to do now. See, but we don't just see the faithfulness of God in Abraham's past. We don't just see the faithfulness of God in Sarah's life, but we see the faithfulness of God being experienced by Hagar. We talked about her a, a few weeks ago, so I don't want to get too carried away in the story of time's sake, but I will tell you this, that the, 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 it says that the, um, Isaac uh, had weaned, so he was probably two or three years old, and Abraham throws a big party for this, and at that big party, um, Ishmael, which is Hagar's son, who is now 15-ish years old, begins to mock Isaac. There's a lot of discussion. So what is, how did he mock him? We don't know how he mocked him. We just know that he did not treat Isaac with the respect that Sarah expected Ishmael to treat. You know what I meant there, right? I got lost in my middle of my sentence. Squirrel! Big time! There wasn't even anything that happened. Ishmael was disrespectful. Let's go with that. Okay, so... So now Sarah says to Abraham, get him out. I don't want Hagar here. I don't want Ishmael here. Get him out of my house. Hagar and Ishmael leave. They run out of water. They're in the desert. They're in trouble. Hagar, being a mom, it says she can't bear to watch her son die. So she helps him underneath a a bush. And then she went and sat about a, 
a bow shot away, knowing the inevitable was about to happen. Knowing that Ishmael was going to die, and so was she. He wept loudly. She wept loudly. And then, verse 17 of chapter 21, God heard the boy crying. The angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What's wrong, Hagar? Don't be afraid, for God has heard the boy crying from the place where he is. Get up, help the boy up, and grasp his hand, for I will make him a great nation. What God could have said in that moment is, Didn't I tell you I had this covered? I said I would make of him a great nation. Quit your whining. Couldn't God say that to all of us? Didn't I say I had you? Quit whining. But no, God instead had made her promise and fulfilled the promise. And Hagar herself got to see God's faithfulness. Now look with me at verse 22 of chapter 21. It says, at that time, Abimelech, so Abimelech's back, accompanied by Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in everything you do. So, so wait, not only could Abraham have looked back at his life to see the faithfulness of God on display. Not only did Sarah get to see the faithfulness of God on display in the birth of her son, not only did Hagar get to see the faithfulness of God on display when he rescued them from the wilderness, but this dude, Abimelech, says, I'm watching you, Abraham, and what I am noticing, two things. First of all, God is faithful. Now, Abimelech has a very different perspective of the faithfulness of God much like Goliath had a very different perspective on the power of God. He got to be a full recipient of God saying, you will not touch my anointed, you will not do my prophets any harm, Psalm 105. No, 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 God is going to intervene on behalf of his people. He's going to demonstrate his faithfulness. And, and Abimelech comes to Abraham and says, man, uh, God is surely with you. I want to be on that team. I want to experience that. I want to buy stock in that company. I, I, I want to make sure I am close to you so I get to experience that same faithfulness of God. So Abimelech approaches Abraham. So let me read 22 and 23 again. At that time, Abimelech, accompanied by Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in everything you do. Verse 23, swear to me by God here and now that you will not break any agreement with me or with my children and descendants, as I have been loyal to you, so you will be loyal to me and to the country where you are a resident alien. So, so there's the second thing that, uh, that Abimelech observed. The very first one is, man, is God faithful to you. And the second one, Abimelech says to Abraham, man, God is faithful to you. And boy, do I not trust you. I need assurances, Abraham. I want a covenant. I want a contract. I want to make sure that this, this does not go sideways on me. I want your promises. Why? Because Abraham is viewed as being untrustworthy. Why is Abraham viewed as being untrustworthy? Because Abraham didn't see God's faithfulness clearly all the time. 
because Abraham was imperfect in his pursuit of God. But the beautiful thing is this. No matter how imperfect Abraham was in his pursuit of God, God was perfectly faithful to Abraham. Uh, Abraham, if there's ever a passage in Scripture that points to this, that's, that's, that's more uh, specific than this, I don't know where it is. Abraham, like us, was declared righteous by God. He didn't live a perfect life in order to achieve this status of righteousness. No, God said, righteous, I've got you, I've got you covered. Now again, Genesis, I'm going to say this a hundred times through the rest of this series, Genesis, like the, the entirety of Scripture, is not about the heroes of the faith. It's about a faithful God in the face of their unfaithfulness. Genesis, the entirety of Scripture, is about a God who sees our continued weakness and makes a provision for our rescue. It's about the righteousness that none of us can earn, that, that none of us deserve, but a righteousness that is, in fact, gifted to us. And so, so again, you, you see that so clearly here in the life of Abraham. He has failed God by not taking him at his word, by thinking he was too small, by thinking he was unaware. He has failed by not taking God at his word. And yet, in all of the times Abraham is spoken about in the rest of Scripture, from here on out, not a single time are his failures mentioned. You get to Hebrews chapter 11, which kind of unpacks some of the faith of Abraham. And you see him being praised for leaving home, not knowing where he was going, for believing that, that God could give him a son when he and Sarah were both beyond the ability of having children. And you, you see the faith of, of Abraham being pointed out. We'll get to this next week in, in being willing to offer up Isaac, figuring that God would be able to raise him from the dead. But not once in the rest of Scripture does God refer to Abraham's past sin to his shame why? Because in God's faithfulness, Abraham experienced a grace that only God could give him. Abraham experienced freedom. Freedom from his failures. Freedom to have a relationship with the God who is everlasting. And so let me encourage you this morning, if you are in Jesus Christ, that does not mean you are in church. In Jesus Christ and in church are two very different things. If you are in church, I'm thankful you are here. But being in Jesus Christ means you have come to the end of yourself and recognize that you're a sinner and only Jesus can save you. And you've called on the name of Christ and on the name of Jesus Christ alone, confessing that he is God, he has risen from the dead, and he is the only Savior. That's what it means to be in Jesus. So if you are in Jesus, that relationship is yours. That confidence is yours. That ability to live in the freedom knowing that it's not going to be about your past failures or past shame. All that is yours for one simple reason. Because the tomb is empty. Right? Our, our past, present, future sins, they went to the cross with Jesus. He died for each and every single one of them. He, he brought them to the grave with him. And when he rose, he conquered those sins. He celebrated his victory. And so should we. If you are in Jesus Christ, you have been freed from your past failures by the unending love and grace of an everlasting and faithful God. If you are in Jesus Christ, your status has in fact changed from enemy to friend who sits at the table and dines with him. If you are in Jesus Christ, you are no more separated. You are no more shamed 
if you are in Jesus Christ, when he returns, you will be called faultless. Not because you are, but because of Jesus Christ. Psalm 100, verse 5 says this, The Lord is good, and his faithful love endures forever. His faithfulness through all generations. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for your continued faithfulness in my life. I thank you for forgiveness of sins. I thank you that in Christ my sins have been washed. That my soul is now somehow righteous, not because I've deserved it or earned it, but because when you look at me, you see Jesus. So thank you for his righteousness on my account. Father, we, we, we know we fail, we falter, we mess up. We get in our own way sometimes. We, we just, we struggle. So thank you for the grace and mercy that you promised to continue to show to us. Lord, I pray none of us would treat that grace cheaply. But instead, that as we reflect on your faithfulness to us, it drives us to serve you in ways we never have before. Now we know that that freedom, that faithfulness, that rescue that we have experienced is all because of Christ. So we thank you for him. We worship you. And we pray, Father, that we would have our eyes opened to the gifts that are truly ours in him. For it's in his matchless name I pray.